you are new to the Grove, welcome to the awkward, uncomfortable situations that we put ourselves in by preaching God's Word. We cannot skip around this stuff. We should not skip around this stuff. Um, I was mentioning this yesterday at the softball field, that I was not going to be there tomorrow morning, even though we had a shortage of coaches. And they said, whoa, what are you preaching on? And I was like, circumcision. And they were like, I'm sorry, what? Uh, how does that apply? Well, we're going to get there. But if you are new here, if, um, if you've zoned out, I don't know how, but if you've zoned out, uh, let me remind you, we are in a series on uh, the book of Genesis. We started in January. We're going to finish sometime in November, and we've broken it up into four little mini-series, one on the beginnings, which is Genesis 1 through 11. Now we're in the second mini-series on the life of Abraham. We'll then go to Jacob and then to Joseph, but here we are in the middle of Abraham's Life, And if you remember the last couple of uh, few weeks now, uh, we've got this promise on Abraham, right? That he would have a covenant with God, that he has been credited righteous by God, and that he was going to be given blessing and descendants and land. And now 25 years have passed. That's why you have the markers of time in there that Abraham was now 99. 25 years have passed, and that promise still has not come true. Now, if you remember, some 13 years ago, which is just a chapter ago, uh, Abraham and Sarah took some matters into their own hands. They decided to come up with this plan to have Hagar be this uh, surrogate for Sarah so that maybe she could have the baby, that the heirloom would come through. And in fact, in Genesis 17, God corrects course for everyone involved. Uh, with some very specific language, why we really couldn't uh, cut out any part of the chapter because there's some really specific, repetitive language that we all need to hear. Like God's making it very clear what's going on and what he intends now as the clarification of the covenant goes on over the years. Where there's been ambiguity and they have filled the gap with all kinds of crazy plans, God is now removing the ambiguity and saying, no, no, it's through Sarah. There's a circumcision of the foreskin, like it's very clear what God is now asking of Abraham and Sarah. But last week, we ended this, uh, our time together by asking the question, basically, um, will we be satisfied with the blessings of God or will we be satisfied with God himself? And as we transition into this week, I think there's some more questions that we need to ask, but the main question that um, I kind of come up with, right, comes from a song from the early 90s. And if you can um, fill in the lyrics as I go, uh, I would be appreciative. This is the question answer time, okay? Um, so I'm going to try and sing it. This is why I don't sing, all right? I would do anything for love. That that's it. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. You've always wondered what that is. It's circumcision. <laughs> That's what it is. Now, we can laugh about that, but let's just, let's just ride that for a minute, okay? Because here's the reality. Like, that is a silly reality that I think helps us see the limits of our love. And that's exactly what God is getting to with Abraham. There's been limits to your love, Abraham, and there's no more limit anymore. And we're going to unpack that as we go along. You say that you worship God ultimately. This is really the heart of what's behind this limit. It's the same thing that's behind uh, the book of Job, 
when, when Satan approaches God in heaven, right, and he says, you have put a hedge of protection on Job, there's a limit. I will find his limit if you would just let me, and God lets him. I will find his limit where he will quit worshiping you and he will bow the knee to me, Satan. It's the same thing that's behind the book of Job. It's also the same thing that's behind the ministry of Jesus when he goes out into the desert. That the enemy is looking for the limit of our worship and our love. Where is it that we have put that hedge that said, I won't do that for you. And that's what's going to put, be put before us here. That we say we worship God, but there are limits to our love. There are things that we will not do for him. And I would just ask, what is that breaking point for us? When will you stop following? When it costs you your job? When it costs you some sort of social acceptance that you think you've worked hard for? When you have to bring up the gospel or you have this moment where you can share the gospel? We've all been faced with that. When will we stop actually following in obedience? We are in this passage confronted with the limits of our love for God. And God, just as God begins to require more of Abraham, he is now also going to provide more details as to this cost-benefit analysis that we may be running in our head of following him. I don't know about you, but I ask three questions whenever God tells me to do something crazy through his word or by his spirit. I usually am asking what I think um, ultimately is answered in this chapter, and that is, who is asking me to do this? Are there any other alternatives? And then what must I do? Who's asking? Well, God answers that question right here in Genesis 17, verse 1. You want to know who's asking Abram? Who's asking you to get circumcised? Who's asking you to do something that you never thought would be asked of you? I'll tell you who. God Almighty. That's what it says in Genesis 17:1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, You better know who's talking to you now, Abram. I am God Almighty. We hear that God Almighty and we draw some conclusions, but the Hebrew text is going to pull out for us a textured, layered meaning that is very beneficial for us. Again, a little bit awkward, but very beneficial for us. So let's lean into what the Hebrew is going to tell us. There's two main meanings of El Shaddai. I don't know about you, but that's another 90s song that comes into my head from like Amy Grant. Was it Amy Grant? I didn't listen to her. I wasn't a believer back then, so bear with me. Nonetheless, El Shaddai, right? Two things that I think the, the Hebrew etymology or whatever that word is, um, helps us understand. Number one, it is the strong one. It is literally the God of the mountain. The God of the mountain. So think Mount Sinai. Think the one who only comes down to the top of the mountain and then basically determines and dictates how to live for the entire community. It's that God that speaks to you. But it's not just the powerful one. It's not just the God on the mountain. He's, he's powerful. He's capable. He shows his might, right, as he renames Abraham and Sarah. Who, would, who has the authority to rename you? The almighty, the powerful one. It's not just the powerful one. There's also this other nuanced understanding. It is the sufficient one. See, God is going to demonstrate his power probably uh, most clearly in your life as you trust him to be sufficient for you. 
And this comes from the Hebrew word shad, which is the Hebrew word for breast. AKA, it is the breasted one, the, the sufficient one, the one who provides nourishment and care for you. Think of a nursing mother as you think of the sufficient El Shaddai, God Almighty, not just the one who dictate ter- dictates terms, but the one who's going to sustain you as you do the impossible. The one that's going to help you and nourish you along the way. You see, these are the two kind of Hebrew background words that are making up El Shaddai. And so you see this, this sufficient God in Jesus' teaching when he says, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. You find your sustenance, your eternal sustenance in me, your sufficiency in me. I am the, the vine, you are the branches. You can't do anything without me. There is sufficiency in what Jesus is revealing about himself as if to say, I am that El Shaddai. I am the powerful one, and I am your sufficient one. You see this all throughout his ministry and all throughout his teaching when he says, I have come to give you life. Of course, he defines life by being life himself, but he says, to the full, to the most sufficient measure that you could ever imagine. El Shaddai is used 48 times in the Old Testament, 31 times in the book of Job, a man who, from whom everything is taken from him, as if to say, I am the one who will sustain you, Job. Not your blessings, not your family that you lost, not your work, nothing. El Shaddai is here, God Almighty, not just the one who's, who's helping you through all this or has done all this or has allowed all this the one who's sustaining you through it all. In the book of Genesis, El Shaddai is used in connection with enabling fertility. That seems to make some sense here as he reveals himself as God Almighty, El Shaddai, to a family who who have been unable to have children and now are probably biologically unable to have children now that she's 90 and he's 99. And so all of a sudden, God Almighty appears. And throughout the book of Genesis, there's just some examples. I'm going to show you one. I've cut one. But Genesis 28.3, as God shows himself to Jacob being sent to Laban, why would you be sent to your uncle Laban? We'll unpack this as we go through it. But ultimately, this is what God says in Genesis 28.3. God Almighty bless you, Jacob. You have a mission before you. El Shaddai, the powerful one, the sufficient one. Bless you and make you fruitful. You see the connection of El Shaddai and fruitfulness? And multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. And of course, we see this both in Leah and in Rachel in Genesis 29 and 30, as it says specifically that God opens their womb. Almighty and sufficient. So, what's the point? Our God. As we ask, who is asking us to do this crazy, impossible thing? Our God is sufficient for all your needs. Abram and Sarah, you have tried to live self-sufficient lives over these last many years outside of the provision of El Shaddai. Remember Hagar, outside of the provision of El Shaddai. But God Almighty shows you and he shows them and he shows me a life built on your own is no life at all. A life built on your own 
Without the provisions of God is no life at all. And so the question here, will you build your life with your own power and your own time by your own means? Or will you wait on God's miraculous spiritual provision for that which can only be received by a God who says, God Almighty, that's who is asking you of these things who is asking you to do these hard things, who is asking for total allegiance of Abram when he calls for circumcision, total devotion to him, the same God who demands the same from you. God Almighty, El Shaddai, Jesus of Nazareth. This sufficient one, the one who is described in Colossians 1, I just got to read it. Let me just flip there. I think it's going to come up on your screen. El Shaddai, the one who holds all things together. Colossians 1, I'm going to read this for us, 13 through 17. Just think about almighty, think about sufficient. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. There's some power in that. You're struggling with sin? He's delivered you. He's brought you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his wonderful son. We keep reading. In whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now look at the powerful El Shaddai, God Almighty, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created. He's the one that was in Genesis 1. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers or authorities, nothing gets higher than him. All things were created through him and for him. You were created through Jesus and for Jesus. You want to know what your purpose in life is? It's for him. So whatever he determines life is about, you live it for him. You keep going. Look at this all-sufficient El Shaddai. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. I, did I just skip? I skipped some. Sorry. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's the point. That he can hold your world together. He's sufficient. He's powerful. And if he can hold the whole world together, he can hold yours together. Be riddled not anymore with anxiety. He's holding it together. He is sufficient. He is all-powerful. So when your, your marriage falls apart, right, what happens? What happens in that moment when you can't hold things together anymore? Where will you find your status if not married or divorced or single but in Christ? When you try to get your kids to obey and follow Jesus, what happens when they rebel? Where will you find your identity as a parent? It's in this God Almighty who's holding all things together. When you don't get that job, or you do, when you, when you misplace your joy in a job instead of in Jesus, where are you going to find the correction and the joy that you need? It's in God Almighty who's holding it all together, determining exactly what you need at the right time. Or are you finding your sufficiency in buying that house, buying those clothes, buying that car? What happens when that hit of dopamine wears off when the Amazon purchase gets to your door? You gonna go back? Go back for more? Go back for more? Go back for more? That's what we appear to be doing. When that hit of dopamine wears off, where are you gonna find your high? It cannot be in these meager little means, but in the God who has created all things through Jesus and for Jesus. 
So who is asking us to do this hard thing? God Almighty, El Shaddai, the mountain God and the sufficient God, one who will sustain you along the way. Now, the second question that I usually ask is, okay, you're asking me to do this crazy thing. Um, first of all, why are you asking me this? Oh, that's right, you're in charge, got it. Second thing, any other options out there? Any other, just a plan B or C, I'll take, a, I'll take a plan Q at this point, as long as it's not plan A. And of course, God is gracious many times to answer us. El Shaddai is the source of our nourishment, of our life, and the God who is capable of everything, right? Abram and Sarai, we're going to find this out in a very real way. As now, God has promised them a child specifically in verses 15 and 16 and 19 through Sarah. 15. As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. When God changes their name, he is determining their future. For Abram, it was a, a, his, his name was an homage to his lineage. When he changed it to Abraham, it was a, signi- a, 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 a symbol to what was coming. Same thing for Sarai. Sarai meant like a princess or usually like a moon princess, which is where they came from in Ur. Now Sarah is like a queen. It's no longer where you came from. It's where you're headed. And he's changing their names for a reason. And now it's through Sarah that all this is going to happen. Not through Agar, Hagar, Abraham, not through another female servant. It is specifically through Sarah. And of course, we know that Sarah laughs at God in the next couple of chapters, but it's here that we forget Abraham was actually the one that laughed first. We don't know if he was hiding his face from God and his laughter or if he was falling over in reverence of a God who was about to do some crazy things. But either way, what we find in verse 18 is Abraham going to God and going, man, cool plan, may I suggest another? I don't know if you've ever had that prayer. Awesome plan, Lord. I'd also suggest this one, if you could maybe just participate in my plan for a bit. And he says in verse 18, and Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. What's he saying? Would you consider Ishmael for the covenant? We're old. We're, 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 not, we're not fit for this. Uh, would you consider Ishmael? And of course, God says, what? Oh, man. In verse 19, a very simple answer that we need to hear in our lives. No. Everybody wants to hear God speak. Just give me some clarity, Lord. Should I or shouldn't I? Will I or won't I? No. But maybe not that answer. What do you do when the God Almighty, El Shaddai, says no to you? Do you make your own plans? May I present to you Hagar? Or do you cling to El Shaddai, the sufficient one? Because hearing no, you know that hearing no helps sift out for you a shallow love for God which is only there because he gives you what you want. That that no would help you understand. I I actually only will follow him when he makes things right in my eyes. He makes things easier for me. He provides what I said I wanted. Oh, that no would help us see the goodness of God because the better truth here is that God is sufficient even in his no. You see, I'm going to say this in a way that I want you to remember it. 
Most of us don't stick around long enough to hear God's yes in his no. I'm going to say this so you'll remember it. Stick around long enough to see God's butt. Now you're going to remember that. No. Keep reading in verse 19. Stick around long enough to see God's butt. God said no. But Sarah... Your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Stick around for the but. That's where God's mercy is made known in your life. Don't bail out and start throwing a hissy fit like you're Nick Saban when things don't go your way. Oh, I said it. Amen. Well, I'm sorry. Sorry, Renstones. I know, I have the microphone. It's totally not fair. I'm sorry. I'm sure Jimbo's a hissy fit or two. Okay, all right. Enough of that actual. Well, actually. But we cannot throw a hissy fit when we hear the first answer. There's something greater to be had after the comma. Remember Ephesians 2, the beautiful chapter, you were dead, you deserved wrath, you followed the way of the world and your flesh and Satan, but God, who is rich in mercy, made you alive together in Christ. After the comma, the but is there. Stick around long enough to see it, to believe it, to let it just wash over you. Because there's no other alternatives, not to Jesus, not to his plan, not to his wisdom. And so will we be a people, when he says do crazy things, yes, seek alternatives. He doesn't get condemned, but let's rest also in the initial plan of God. Who's asking? Are there any alternatives? No. But now what must I do? Are ready for the fun part? What must I do? If you remember back in the first verse of chapter 17, Abram is being shown God Almighty, El Shaddai, and El Shaddai, the powerful one, the mountain God, the sufficient God, right? He says to Abram, walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. What is God up to in this? The point in this particular verse that ultimately dictates everything else. Hold nothing back from your walk with me. Walk before me as if to say, you live your life, every decision, every thought, every emotion, everything that you do, take captive as if you're actually living before a God who sees you. You remember that from, from Hagar? Oh, you are the God who sees me. Where are you coming from? Where are you going? You're the God who sees. Live everything, every minute, every minuscule little decision you make. Live it as if God Almighty is watching. Now, that'll freak you out. Proverbs 15, 3 or 13, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it says, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch over the good and the evil. You want to break a bad habit? Put that in your mind. You want to break a bad habit that you've been doing in the dark and no one else knows? The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch over the good 
into evil. Walk before me, uh, Abraham. Walk before me. Every thought being captive to you and do it in whole life devotion to God Almighty. That's the be blameless part. He's not saying don't make any more mistakes and don't sin anymore. He's saying find your completeness, your wholeness, your sufficiency in this walk which will be before me. And God immediately requires Abraham and every male within his household to show whole life devotion by getting circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, in case you needed more details. You see, circumcision was not just a sign of being consecrated or set apart for and by God, but it was also a sign of unity, that these are my brethren, these are the people to which I belong. So is God just being weird here? Is he like being cultish in what he's requiring? Uh, no, there's more to it than that. All right, now here's the, let's just get, let's just pretend we're all adults. Um, which for some of us, we're 35 and I, we're still pretending. We have to pretend. Um, that was not 35-year-old, uh, but nonetheless. Here we go. Do you remember last chapter? Sarai is unable to have a child. They present this plan B called Hagar. Um, let's be adults. What member of Abraham's body was used to sin? Got it? Okay. What now member of Abraham's body is God saying, that's mine? There is no way around it to say there is absolute whole life dedication here that comes with following El Shaddai. We can't make excuses. We can't, we can't just all of a sudden go, no, you can have every part of my life, but not that. Because when we make excuses and when we continue to walk with God, God is going to say, if you want to cut some parts out of your life, you have no place in my family. Even the smallest part. Or as the text is putting it, let me be very clear, the foreskin of the flesh. That's what Genesis 17, what is it? Uh, verse 14, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God is exercising his rights and authority over us, over Abraham, over Sarah, and over all of us here to say, Will we wholly belong to him or will we hold back something else for ourselves? God won't have it. The warning is here in verse 14. And it's very clear. And the language is a play on words. Get cut or be cut out. Now, you're probably asking yourself, okay, so I guess we all just got to go do circumcision. And if I'm a female, what, what does this... Uh, how do I do this? Probably not. Matter of fact, the New Testament um, actually uh, puts a lot of material towards this question. There was a lot of question about what's the role of circumcision in the early church. Matter of fact, Genesis, uh, a lot of Genesis, a lot of Romans, a lot of Acts. There's all this question about do people have to be circumcised in order to follow Jesus the assembly of Jerusalem comes together in Acts 15 and they answer the question by not answering the question like good church leaders. 
And they say basically this in Genesis 15, 29, abstain. What, what should we do? I mean, what, how much of the law should we kind of pay attention here to? And all the apostles come together. Paul is there. Peter's there. James is there. And they say abstain from that which has been sacrificed to idols. Okay, idolatry's bad. From blood, uh, from, from what has been strangled, a.k.a. don't live like a barbarian. And from sexual morality. That appears to be included because of what they did with Hagar. So, and then they say, circumcision, though, is absent. And he says, to lay no greater burden on the people. In Galatians 5 and in Galatians 6, it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith, working its way out in love. Galatians 6, only a new creation it's the only thing that matters. It's not circumcision or uncircumcision. Don't find your status in God's family by some external thing. It's not external. Something else then going on for the people of God. And so what do we do as Christians? Actually, it's found back in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 10, it says this. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. And be no longer stubborn. I don't know about you, but I need to hear that from God Almighty. Quit being stubborn. And, 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 and submit all of your heart to him. Romans 2, 29. Circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter of the law. And so what must we do in all of this? Two things, a little bit more explanation, but two things. Number one, we have to participate in the ordinances of the church. Um, my, my mind was changed a little bit this week on regards to baptism and circumcision. Um, I'm not a Presbyterian, but nonetheless, they believe that, you, that, that um, baptism is the new circumcision. You can find that in Colossians 3. You can find that throughout uh, the, the scriptures. Um, and so, therefore, it is the, the, the symbol of your covenant with God. Baptism is very much that way. Now, where I stray from some of my Presbyterian brothers and sisters is where we baptize infants. I, I'm not a paedo-baptist, as they call it. Our church is not paedo-baptist. We are credo-baptist, uh, meaning um, that you, we believe in believer's baptism. But I do believe that we should baptize infants in the faith. Those just starting out. It was just weaned off of, 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 our, of, our, of our spiritual milk. I, I absolutely believe that that sign of the covenant needs to be there for anybody walking with Jesus because we have to, again, whole life dependence on him. That's why we put the whole person in the water and bring them out. But I don't think it's just baptism. I think also the sign of renewing the covenant, the sign of remembering the covenant, which was the point of circumcision, the sign of remembering the covenant isn't just baptism but also the Lord's Supper that we would remember in that ordinance that we are members of a new covenant bought purchased and secured not by dead animals laid in half but on a dead Messiah hung on a cross it's that new covenant where we participate in those communion elements remembering the blood remembering the body Covenant always involves both. How much more the new covenant. But it's not just ordinances. It's also, of course, obedience. 
That's what we see in Abraham's life at the end of chapter 17. Abram took Ishmael and his son and all those born in his house or bought with his own money, every male among them, men of Abram's household, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. He turns into someone that we all would admire and that we read about that all of a sudden, no matter the cost, no matter how weird it may have been to us, no matter what, we're gonna do it because if God says to do it, doesn't matter what it costs me anymore, I'm in because I get him. He's my God. All throughout this, it's my covenant with you. It's my covenant with you. I'm, and here's the, 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 the blessedness in this. I will be your God. We participate with this God, follow this God that says, I'm going to be yours and you're going to be mine, just like a marriage covenant. No matter what, in sickness and in health, whether you're faithful or not, I'll always be here for you. You repent and believe in the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. You see, this is not a delayed obedience. It is not excused. He no longer bargains with God. It cost Abraham something to demonstrate his belonging to the covenant. And friends, it's going to cost you too. So I don't know what you've been holding back. I don't know what you've been saying, mine. No. Can't have it. Your kids, your job, your secret sin habits your finances, your speed limit habits. Oh, man, come on. What about your finances? What about your future? What about your sex life? That appears to be the original context, doesn't it? What about your happiness in your job? And where are you exerting control over God's almighty no? I know you said no to this. I'll find a way. Where are you refusing to relinquish control because Deuteronomy rings out to us, be no longer stubborn, O sheep of the good shepherd. Be no longer stubborn. Well, friends, if we're gonna have and be in covenant with God, God he is going to and has determined and required whole life walking with him. Remember our mission statement, the mission statement that Abram, or not Abram, Aaron, although might as well, let's go with Abram. Aaron said at the beginning, we're here to invite all people to follow Jesus in all of life. What part of your life do you not want to follow Jesus in? Will we submit, will we surrender, will we follow him in all of life? Because here is the deal, God has no limit in his love for sinners, he has demonstrated his love for us in Jesus who wholly dedicated all of his life to be perfect in obedience to his Father's will. He took on our sin. He gave us his righteousness. And if God so loved the world by doing all of this for you, what is your excuse for not responding in whole life devotion for him? You would do anything for love, huh? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we need help. So you sent your son to dig us out of a grave, and then you sent your spirit to help us live resurrected lives. 
Lord, let us not put a hedge around our devotion and our obedience to you, but let us follow you wholly. Holy Spirit, help us see where we have, have put a boundary, how we have all these rooms in our hearts that we would like to keep for ourselves. But Lord, we just probably some of us here today just need to go, you know what? I, no more. I'm not, this life that I'm trying to live on my own is no life at all, and I can't do it anymore. I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I'm anxious, I'm depressed. And it's probably because of some sort of disobedience in here. So look, do, do your thing. Holy Spirit, have your way. Find ways and recesses of my heart that need to be carved out, circumcised and cut off. May we surrender to our great physician. The good doctor who will perform this operation, not in our flesh, but in our heart. Oh, help us surrender to this operation that we all desperately need, both in coming to know your son Jesus and remaining in Jesus. We respond in faith, we respond in devotion and in love to you, oh Lord, and we respond in song. It's appropriate to sing psalms and spiritual songs to one another. So let us remind each other of the gospel now, not just in the spoken word, but in the sung word. And let us sing it, Lord, like we're, this is our last day to sing these things. Devoted to you in these moments, in Christ's name.